Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of FinTV. Today I'm joined by Adrian Hernandez, who is the founder and CEO of Simplicity Works. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Maria. Why don't you tell, tell our, uh, our viewers and our listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey so far? Well, yes, uh, Adrian Hernandez, uh, I am an industrial engineer uh, working in manufacturing processes. My background has been in the footwear industry where I have uh, patented and developed a new method of manufacturing, which um, has the name of 3D bonding. And that brings some benefits in order to reduce uh, labor costs mostly and also um, materials, which makes the final product more sustainable and also allows the production uh, again uh, closer to the consumer. You're hitting quite a lot of good sweet spots, you know, lowering labor costs, uh, you know, being able to uh, get things closer to home, making things more sustainable. That's that's actually sounds pretty ideal. How do you make that happen? Well, it happens once the, the, the method is simplified. OK, since so many years, actually, I call it the footwear 1.0 paradigm. Uh, <laughs> because okay. we are still are has such a dependency on the on the machinery which has two hundred years ago um, built or created, which is the stitching machine, uh, the sewing machine. So this process mostly uh, replaces uh, the that process. So basically, are you saying that the footwear industry hasn't really evolved a lot uh, in a couple hundred years? The main uh, um, say hardware to produce the, the, the product haven't been evolved so much. Obviously, okay. have brought some uh, benefits of the, of, of the evolution in terms of robotics and obviously management and systems. Yes, digital as well. However, the, um, the hardware uh, used to make the, the product, it's a still uh, yeah, from that time. Oh, really? So, okay, so, so I get that. So it's not so much that the factories haven't changed or some processes, the actual hardware used hasn't changed. So obviously we're all in the middle of this pandemic and in the middle of this crisis. Uh, I'm sure that the 3D printing, 3D bonding uh, methodologies are something that people are starting to look at quite seriously uh, because of coronavirus. Would you, would you agree? Yes, um, actually, there are some of the conversations that lately we have uh, been maintaining, not only with uh, our stakeholders, also with uh, with the, the in, in the in the government. Actually, this pandemic has brought uh, some hidden uh, problems that the industry had, some hidden problems that the countries had in terms of not having in place uh, strategic sectors of uh, manufacturing, such in this case, uh, masks of ventilators. So in, in this situation has brought the, the idea of some leaders in the, in, the, in the world 
that is necessary, at least in some strategic fields, to, to, uh, to create again a strength for manufacturing. So the kind of method methodologies with just-in-time manufacturing and supply chains where, uh, you know, you only carry a certain amount of inventory, that, that in this pandemic has perhaps been shown as not necessarily being of value, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what are the opportunities now? Do you think that this calls into question a sort of local versus global manufacturing theory? Yeah, the, we, actually we call that concept uh, reverse globalization, right? Okay. And this is something that I have also hearing uh, quite often uh, a few days ago regarding that we have to think again, what is the, 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 um, the limit of globalization and when uh, we need to bring back some of the, of the production. So uh, um, in the future, many, many companies and, and actually governments, they're going to make a scout, scouting of, of technologies that they are able to bring that manufacturing back because today is a must, but tomorrow could be actually in, in, in other scenario, the, the, the need to produce. So, you know, we keep talking about this crisis, but a lot of governments are talking about uh, a world where crises like this could be regular. And so are you suggesting that governments now need to look at this reverse globalization as a, as a real trend, as a real thing for them to consider? Yeah, I believe that I strongly believe that this is going to be the big topic in the in the coming years. I, I would say that an additional reason, uh, sectors like uh, service, they're going to be highly impacted in terms of mobility, will be yeah. reduced. So there will be no other way that the the, the leaders in the, they will just turn their head to other sectors that the, they could bring in the short time. Uh, higher uh, yeah, growth for the for the economies and for the companies. So, I, yeah, I strongly believe that that um, the unbalance created in the last sixty years of production, uh, so much production made far away, they had to again trying to create a certain balance. It's a pretty big change. Uh, it's a pretty big change in in strategy. Do you think that that's something that? Uh, not only governments, but board directors of large manufacturers are sitting here discussing today. Depending in the sector, but yes, the, the complete supply chain is going to be restructured. Okay. okay. Trying, trying to manage the, the risk differently. In the, in the normal, um, the normal uh, world that you can source your, your, your parts from many parts of the world, many places, and you assembling in, in certain country, shouldn't be an issue. But once you face situation that some of the places that search the parts, they are blocked or locked, then you can have a big problem because you can, for one or two parts, you cannot assemble the entire product. So you, you, will, you will try to, to at least split the, the, um, the source place, in order to manage that risk, because if someone fails, still you can uh, receive your goods or your part from, from different place. So to mitigate risk, you think that yeah. um, factories are gonna have to look at 
the sourcing of their goods in such a way that perhaps they're not so wholly reliant and dependent on different markets. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know about in the apparel industry, but I know that a lot of industries, they're sourcing their goods from sometimes, I don't know, 50 different places. And yeah. so if one of them falls or 50 of them fall, like we have in this situation, it makes them extremely uh, reliant on, and on, on, on different types of sources and therefore dangerous, don't you think? Exactly. So yeah, obviously, if you, when you manage the scale of one factory, sometimes with one is big, you are maybe even more efficient. You can, uh, in terms of, of, of costing, but, uh, but maybe in the future, companies will think about splitting that uh, in different countries or different areas and manage not only the, um, the issue of uh, or mitigation, the risk, but also being more closer to the assembly uh, um, installation uh, factories and also, yeah, managing as well the, ex the exchange uh, rate of the currency. So at the end, it's, it's, it's the way to, to restructure your, your entire supply chain. So the opportunities that present, well, okay, let me, let me take a step back. Right now, we're obviously, as I said, in the eye of this storm. So no doubt there's strategy for what we're doing today, uh, responding to the need, responding, like you're saying, you know, having uh, manufacturers that manufacture automotive parts, making uh, uh, ventilators and so forth. So there's, so there's the now problem and then there's the post-COVID world, whatever that new normal looks like, yeah? So how can the technology that you've created, the 3D bonding, help and adapt to the issues now and then the issues post-COVID? Yeah, this technology, 3D bonding, as I said, uh, was born in the footwear industry. And yeah. yes, brings the possibility to assemble product closer in the same uh, uh, region or continent of consumption. However, also brings the possibility for other sectors, such okay. as uh, car industry, to produce the seats without stitching. And as well for others, such as uh, backpacks, or, or even uh, garment jackets or all those. So the idea is to create um, locally um, that, um, that new knowledge. Basically, it's a, it's a technology that comes from digital to real. Engineers design a product in 3D and they design the molding technology in order to produce those products. And it uh, will be necessary to, to to go to see what uh, the countries have, actually countries like Spain, uh, we have certain strain in terms of uh, engineers developing in 3D. So we will take the advantage of that and create the, the capabilities in order to produce uh, locally. You produce locally, which will obviously make it sustainable. That's, that's, that's something that is also a consideration. Uh, a lot of the people that we've been speaking with have been talking about uh, sustainability and new business models that are going to emerge out of this type of crisis. Do you think that the world of manufacturing and supply chain is going to be looking at recreating more sustainable business models post-COVID? Yeah, um, for, for several reasons. Obviously, when you think about locally, you think about less pollution as well, right? You think about the raw materials that they are produced with the, with the regulations, of our countries. You also think about um, uh, generating other industry. 
uh, regarding the producing sustainable uh, raw materials, right? You also think about the circular economy because mm. if you produce locally and you want to reinsert the waste into the manufacturing process, obviously the proximity is a value. When that uh, paradigm is shift, uh, then it opens the door to so many other uh, yeah, benefits and so many other businesses regarding that. So, so many other uh, layers of value that you put on top of your, of your product, which also includes the service to the client. So um, there is a, a bond uh, between the, the final consumer that um, somehow feels that the product has so much uh, connect uh, link or link, emotional link with the, with the product and with the people that is producing that, uh, that product. I think you and I have spoken, you know, we've, we've um, spoken before and before the coronavirus uh, crisis, we were talking about how uh, different types of customer demand was creating the need for uh, custom, you know, personalization in goods and for that kind of link with, uh, uh, with the companies that they buy from. That still exists, of course, but the biggest driver right now seems to be the need of governments and manufacturing plants to uh, become more sustainable and more local. Do you think that that's going to continue over the course of uh, the next couple of years? Yes, yes. So sustainability has been the, the big trend the last two, three years, and it will continue. However, as we said, it's going to have uh, a step of evolution. And the How step, do you mean? Yeah, this step of evolution, I think, is the reverse globalization. Tell, tell me more about this. I mean, is this not the same as, say, reshoring, you know, people wanting to bring their, their manufacturing back home or whatever it is? Do you think the different, there are different drivers here? Yeah, that, that concept is, actually has nothing against globalization, which has been a, a step forward of the, of, of, this, uh, of the economy in the world. It, it's, it's the evolution of that. So we, we are going to keep some of the strengths of the, of the entire world, commercialization of goods, but we are going to be much more efficient. So that's, that's the way that still all the countries will be connected. However, we will be more like IP uh, system that we have many, many dots connected instead of having one big dot going from centralization to split and many small will be the decentralized, the mm -hmm. search, and also will be yeah, uh, share uh, closer to the to the demand. So you're still going to share knowledge. You're still going to share processes, etc. But what you're trying to do is that the actual sourcing of goods is going to be more local to where the consumer is. Yeah, and and then we come back to the to the 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 area that we are living about digital. Yeah, so being digital allows that this technology like three D bonding or three D printing um, today allows. Um, that reverse globalization in an efficient way. 
how how realistic is it? I mean, we've been talking about 3D printing for a long time, yet the adoption rate of 3D printing across factories is not necessarily as uh, prevalent or as uh, widespread as you would imagine. Do you think that's going to change now? Every technology has certain value. Uh, I, I believe that uh, is the way that all those technologies that are going to work together, right? 3D printing, for, for instance, for our technology, brings some value. Yeah. However, still, there is a strong value for the injection molding uh, technology with CNC. Mm-hmm. However, this, uh, this, um, this balance between that is the, is the real uh, efficiency to us. Uh, 3D printing brings uh, speed, brings some design possibilities not possible with all the traditional process. And the traditional, in terms of uh, molding, uh, brings um, high speed in production uh, and, and lower cost. So it's even if you combine, actually, the technology of 3D printing is, is being used with us and with other uh, companies in making molds. Uh, uh, so very, very fast, you make the molds and you can produce on demand. So this isn't something that is a, a pipe dream, you know, 10 years away, 20 years away. This is something that is, can be implemented relatively quickly now? Well, uh, our technology uh, is, going, is, is ready right now. The, the production line this year is going to be uh, validated, the, the technology in manufacturing environment. Mm-hmm. So since this year and the coming, there are going to be several uh, brands uh, large companies uh, uh, producing with, with this technology. And we are looking forward, once we have industrialized in footwear, we look forward to develop all the sectors. And so you'll expand this to, outside, to, to multiple types of sectors, not just the footwear side of things. Exactly. Actually, it's, we, we are increasing that uh, complexity, especially in sizing. Now yeah. we are going to produce a, a backpack, then we, we are happy because we are going to make also an armchair and then we go to the car seat. So it's going to be exciting to see all those products coming to, to life. And, and for you personally and for your business personally now, do you think that the coronavirus, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is fast tracking things for you? I, for the world. I mean, I, it, it's, it's, uh, we have, we have been discussing it's a, uh, it's, it's obviously it's, it's sad uh, what is happening. However, I, we stay very positive because we are seeing that the world is, is changing so fast. Yeah. The, the, um, every paradigm is, is very hard, hard to change. But when happens situations like that, the world changes much faster. We can see now the connectivity of the teams working remotely is much more efficient in, in many ways. Uh, we, we leave that. I'm actually, we are taking advantage of that. And also we, uh, the, the, the world, um, yeah, change the way to operate and it's gonna speed very, uh, increase the speed penetration of technologies, the digi- digital technologies in overall. You know, everybody we've been talking to is also talking about how there's an opportunity here to become more digital as a business, to uh, change the way that we work. You've just talked about as well, lowering labor costs. I assume that that's because you require fewer people to, uh, to, to, to work on sort of more 
labor intensive processes. Talk to me a little bit more about how labor costs could, could be reduced. Yeah. It could sound uh, maybe incredible, but to produce and stand up food, uh, footwear, a pair of shoes takes about 16 minutes to produce one pair. So yeah. it's about actually 50 something tasks, different operations sequentially, one after the other. So with our technology, we just mostly cut, basically cut the product, the, the upper parts, uh, plug inside the mall, and with uh, not more than 18 tasks uh, and 12 minutes, we can produce a shoe. So the cut in labor is about 75%. And if you, if you see that picture, that you have a, a, a relation of one to four, uh, you, you copy, let's say, the labor cost of one country which pays $500 with other country that pays 2000 Right. So you equalize the labor. Once you equalize the labor, then the decision to produce in, in, in one place or the other is not, is not anymore the, 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 the barrier. The barrier. The, exactly. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And so, again, going back to the other point that you made about being close to the, closer to the customer. Pre-COVID, this was definitely a consideration. You know, there was a trend for people wanting things produced closer to them to, for sustainability issues, but also personalization issues. Do you think that that's a trend that's going to continue post-COVID? It's going to continue. However, um, we, we understand that companies have some uh, established uh, capabilities in certain countries and it's really hard to change from one day to the other. We are talking about big, big factories. It's going to be a shift, uh, um, yeah, um, I'd say progressively, right? But however, we are going to see that maybe not only the companies will be all the forces uh, trying to promote that the companies do that shift. So it's, I think will be the combination of factors from one side, the client, the consumer, from other side, the, the companies that they want to, to, to mitigate the risk and also the governments that they also want to mitigate the risk and uh, and they are going to make some uh, yeah some promotion in order that companies uh, turn and look more into local manufacturing. I think I think what we're saying as well and what we're seeing is that for the first time in I don't know how long the governments will probably get involved in the decisions with regards to recommending anyway how manufacturing works for the near future. And so they'll want to mitigate their risks is what you're saying. Yes, yes. Hopefully it's, uh, it's, it's in the way that it's still companies has the freedom to operate and we are not going yeah. to see uh, uh, excessive uh, control or prote protectionism by their government. Uh, but yes, it will be a different role play, I think, by the, the, yeah, by the governments. Certainly in the short term anyway, especially with, especially with the likes of PPE, you know, manufacturing uh, personal protective equipment and ventilators and the kind of things that we need if this virus continues to go forward uh, further. Uh, I think that perhaps maybe organizations or companies like you offering this type of solution and service might be very valuable to uh, manufacturers and governments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Uh, uh, there's, there's sectors, as, as you said, the, the, the machinery for ventilators or other mechanical devices has to be strategic uh, for governments. Um, and, and although, yes, I can imagine, for instance, that uh, shoes, it makes uh, boots for, for military boots. Yeah. Now, if you want to produce a big amount of military boots in U.S., hardly you can make it. Yeah. Still, you had to bring parts from China, the upper parts, and, and, and finish the product in the U.S. And in certain conditions, it, it won't be possible. Mm. So countries like, you, like uh, United States, they had to see some technologies that they are able to produce basic uh, products like, like boots in America in a, in a large scale just in case. <laughs> wow. And so, and so imagine what then for right now with the protective equipment, you know, and for ventilators and so forth, I think there's going to be more of a demand for producing these things at home, which is one of the things that you're suggesting. Yeah, definitely. I think governments will make a list uh, of uh, strategic sectors that has to be promoted and developed. So companies that they are operating in those uh, sectors, there will be, I think, certain interaction with the government and, and different implications and different clients, I will say. What opportunities are there or what industries do you think are most likely to be disrupted by this kind of technology? Uh, I, I have, I envision the, the car industry in 3D bonding implementing it because uh, uh, obviously um, this is um, this is fantastic industry that right now produce locally in uh, cars in, in Europe in Germany and it's um, yeah it's it's very I think it's very suitable for 3D bonding right now the seats the let's say the cover of the seats is made a little bit far in low cost countries. But I can imagine that the seats are made in, in, in Germany with robots just placing the pieces inside them all and then uh, bonding their parts by their ends. Still, still in that way, the, still the, the seat is breathable. I mean, the, 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 the substrate still is breathable because it's not um, over molding. It's just bonding, 3D bonding. Mm -hmm. And then the, the product can have a, a different look it will be, as I said, uh, cheaper to produce, could be customized in a different way that the seed can have different, different designs and customization level, right? So it's, it's an extra, it's a, a layer additional of uh, value to the, to this, to the car. Uh, so I think that the car industry will be highly disruptive with it. As well, the, the design possibilities, the how a motor, it looks, it looks a little bit sported and, and futurist. So I can imagine companies like Tesla uh, trying to have a minimal look inside, uh, doing that and as well, all the companies, you know, with the new generation of cars that they are uh, electric cars, if you see the, the design uh, look is different. So yeah. what they project outside, they want to project it inside 
and, and yes, um, this technology will bring that new vision inside the car. So the opportunities are quite quite big for not just the footwear and apparel. I mean, I imagine that this kind of 3D bonding techniques can be used across the board. And, and there, every company is looking for low labor costs and making something that's sustainable and uh, making something closer uh, to people. What are the challenges that lie ahead? It requires, uh, I think, challenges, yes. Yeah. However, companies like in the car industry, they are used to that. So for them, it will be an, an additional challenge. Obviously, it's a, in a strong interaction with an innovation teams. There are okay. Projects. So, so do you, that, that's that's a good point. So, do you think that there will be a, a little bit of resistance uh, to this because they don't know it and they don't, you know, don't see how it could be used? Is that what one of the challenges are? Well, um, I think they are they are receptive to. Okay. Good. Yes. Yes. So the the the, the good thing. I can I can talk about different sectors. The, the footwear industry. No, not all the companies have innovation departments. They are, it's, it's, it's limited the amount. So for them, it's quite um, um, normal to adapt to to do a medium and long term uh, planning of development. Three, four, five, six years makes sense uh, for them. In the car industry as well, yes. So in companies with that profile, with innovation team, innovation budget, this is very, very interesting for them. I guess right now you must have your hands full in terms of opportunities uh, because of the situation that we're currently in. Uh, you must be helping out a lot of people, a lot of governments, a lot of, well, I guess a lot of manufacturing plans to try to uh, fast track a lot, of the, a lot of this, yeah? Yes, yes. They are uh, especially large corporations that their ambition, Americans, uh, I would say it, there is a trend obviously with the last uh, couple of years with the, with the new government in US with that message of, uh, of uh, increasing uh, tax barriers and although in, in, in footwear has been uh, drastic, right? Yeah. Boots, safety, so they are looking very much to Mexico, to U.S. So we are helping them to, to, to develop the, those uh, production lines, either in U.S. or in Mexico and, and in Europe as well, where we are. So, and, but again, and, and still we are working in these uh, two main or two big uh, markets. However, this technology is gonna be implemented in every region. So in Asia, obviously for Chinese uh, or Asian market, which is, uh, is extremely important. We are also planning to do cooperations with, with local manufacturing. It seems like there's a huge opportunity right now to, to look at this kind of thing. And, I, and uh, obviously given the current crisis, most organizations will be looking for ways to make things sustainable, make things uh, locally. This is definitely a consideration moving forward. Um, what, what advice, and I think I've asked you this before, what, what advice do you think uh, you would give to supply chain and manufacturing people right now where they are? Do you think that they should be looking at this kind of thing? I would say that one first suggestion is to be inclusive in the sense that 
your your current supply chain, your current uh, uh, suppliers, right? Chinese, uh, Asian suppliers. How we are going to work with them? Uh, explaining, obviously, they are going to understand easily. Uh, how we are going to manage that they, their investment we direct in a different way that we don't have to jump from China to Indonesia to Indonesia to Vietnam from Vietnam to Cambodia and then to Ethiopia. No, we said we had to bring new technologies that there allows us to produce locally and eventually you can be part of it because you have the knowledge you are reliable, we have a connection, we know how we work each other. However, think about that maybe you invest or co-invest closer to us. So now it's gonna be a new time of creativity in business to manage the source, the supply uh, change differently. So uh, obviously depends of the companies, depends of the relation. There are so many variables. So the ones that they are able to take better advantage of that strong relation they have with their suppliers, they will, they will change the game, yeah, I think. It's a very interesting point that you make there in terms of game changing. Uh, I, the companies that will embrace the opportunities that are available to them through creativity perhaps will be the companies that will have a better time of, of uh, transitioning to the post-COVID world. What, what do you think of that point? Yeah, yeah, obviously, obviously, yes. And that's, uh, that's our challenge right now in the footwear, which is our main field that we know the best. The strengths are really right now maybe on, on balance, uh, let's say uh, geographically. So how what how we are going to do that uh, we not only uh, as I said uh, um, manage the risk differently or or the investment or, or but also how we are gonna bring value in the local manufacturing. And I can tell you examples, right? It's like, I'm gonna have a big factory in for Europe or it will be uh, one factory every country or one factory every certain amount of population or we are going to produce in the store. So there, there, there we, sh we had to open a new challenge to the sourcing uh, departments and it passed through innovation team. So- right. Yeah, and also financial, because we have even made uh, some chart. This is really, uh, in, in my opinion, was really easy to, to, to visualize the benefit. If you see the numbers, public numbers of uh, Nike, Adidas, Puma, and Amazon, we have yeah. done the last four years. This is quite interesting. Uh, Nike has a turnover re about 40, it was uh, 44 uh, billion, right? And they have inventories of about 11 billion. Okay. 11, 11 billion share between inventories and receivables. It's more right. or less half and half. 
receiver is obviously is big because it's long-term uh, delivery, etc. And if you check Adidas, it was 28%, 3% more. And Puma was 32%, 7% more. And if you check the net profit and the growing rate, the inventories plus the net earning and the, and the growing was 42% for all of them. Wow. Exactly. 42%, the same number. So it means that Nike, what has less inventory, has more in, in net earning or in growth. So, so if you have a chance to influence that and actually reduce those inventories, then the, the margins will increase as well. It's exactly one-to-one -one correlation. So right. when the CFO of the company sees that, they could be engaged yeah. In the, in the so, so, so on top of margins, which are hugely important, which obviously you've discussed the lowering labor costs as well, but you have a chance to create a more sustainable business model and have a chance at getting something local and, and to their, you know, local so that it's close to the consumer, which means personalization, etc. So there are quite a lot of upsides here. We are talking, we are talking with companies. So it's about to make it profitable. Yeah. It is, yeah, obviously you want to have values for the consumer, which is, uh, is, is, is the end, is the goal. However, companies have the end goal to increase that the net earning. Well, yeah. if, if that reverse globalization increase the profit of the company, then it's feasible. Yeah. So the company has to scout which, which technologies in the medium and long term they are really uh, making profitable the local for local, right? So when they in that in that uh, moment uh, the C the CEO is the CEO is hands on in this uh, in this process. Obviously, the CFO will be because they will obviously know that it is profitable, and then sourcing uh, as well. Remember that the mobility is going to change very much. In the coming years, likely uh, there they won't be so many flights to Asia in the next 24 months. Yeah. There will be less. Uh, people will be not really comfortable flying so much. So we either, we obviously will use more digital technology to communicate, but we will try to, to fly less. So this, this also combined is, um, it, it's going to, yeah, change the, the game. Yeah. Well, on that note, Adrian, it's been fantastic to talk to you and to hear about this. I think we'll, uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on you and, and see where things are going. Uh, thank you so much for coming on FinTV and telling us more about this 3D bonding technology and the implications that it has or the applications it has for uh, reverse globalization. Yeah. Thank you very much, Maria. Always a pleasure. See you soon. Thank see you so much. And for those of you watching, see you in the next episode of FinTV. Thank you.